Good to see everybody. <laughs> Feels like it's been a long time since I've seen you. Hold two minutes and 32 seconds. Well, hey, we're going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be at um, most of this series. Uh, we are starting a brand new series tonight. And uh, this is uh, a series Pastor Fred and I have been talking about for a few, uh, just planning and uh, working through this. We just finished our series, Watch Your Mouth, which was a great series. Um, we had a lot of fun just looking through that and just talking about uh, who Jesus is and, and just looking at how uh, he impacts us and how he impacts the words that we speak and how we need to be mindful about what we say that our words can literally change our world, and we just need to be careful about those. And so as we were le thinking about that series and looking through it, and we knew how uh, challenging even a series it was for us and how transformational it was for Pastor Fed and I, um, we were just like, you know what, we need to think through what we need to do after that. And so we started talking, we're like, you know what, we need to talk about why we do what we do as a church. And so we're going to talk about a little bit who City Life is, why we do what we do, and, and uh, how we do some things. And so we're going to take some time to do that and walk through that. So we'll be in John chapter 4 um, as we do that tonight. If you do not know who I am and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jamie and I'm the campus pastor here at City Life Williamsburg. We have two campuses as of right now. Our lead pastor is Fred Michel and he mainly resides in the Newport News campus. And so he is there. And... Uh, uh, and yes, I said Newport, all right? So um, so he is there in uh, the Newport News campus, and he is hanging out uh, there most of the time. In January, we're going to be launching another campus in Suffolk, and so we'll have three campuses, and we'll be talking a little bit about why we do that in this series. So that's going to be happening um, in January, so we're excited about that. Um, we've been here in Waynesburg now for a little over two years, so it's uh, just uh, crazy to think about that, but we're excited about all that God is doing here um, um, we, we believe as a church that God's got, called us to uh, reach into different communities by planting campuses um, and, and, and doing that in a unique way. And uh, it's just fun just to see the way God's working things out. And so um, we're super excited to be here tonight and excited to be talking about who we are as a church and what we do. And it's important that we do that, right? Uh, if this is your first night, you're like, dude, I picked a great night. How many of you have ever been to your first time in church and they talk about money, Right? You're just like, man, why is it always my first time visiting a church and they talk about money? How many times have you ever been to a church for the first time and they talk about who they are and why they do what they do, right? That, I mean, that's a good service to be at for the first time to say, all right, am I going to check this place out or not? And so uh, we're going to be talking about that. But even if you've been here for a while and, and you haven't heard some of these things or you have heard them, it's good to be reminded why we do what we do. It's absolutely important to think about what we do and why we do it. And so we're going to take the next four weeks to walk through that. I'll be here for the next three weeks. Pastor Fred will be here on the 28th of November um, talking to you guys. And so you get a chance to see him as much as possible. And I'll be in Newport News making them suffer there. And uh, so that's going to be happening over the next couple weeks. I was excited about this series because why is one of my favorite words. It's one of my favorite questions. My parents are nodding their heads. Their heads are getting ready to fall off right now. They're shaking their heads so hard. I love the question, why? It's got me in a lot of trouble in my life. It got me in a lot of trouble in grade school and especially in high school with some of my teachers where they would go through, especially in geometry. I did great in math until I got into geometry and we got into proofs with just theories, right? So I'm thinking they're theories. And if I just, you know, like if you can prove that it's right, then you should be able to prove that it's wrong, right? And, and so I would have this little discussion with my teacher, um, who happens to be the mayor of our hometown now, which is kind of funny. But um, so like we'd have these discussions, right? And, and then, you know, she's like, no, you can't do that. And I'd be like, why? Why can't you do that, right? Like I always wanted to know why. And it's one of the most important things that we can look at in our lives and ask that because by and large, most people, they're not concerned about why things are the way they are, as long as they are, right? Most people, they don't, they don't really care about why things are the way they are, just as long as they are. I mean, you think about a lot of times people, especially maybe even some young people, or, or who knows, you know, just different people. I try to want to categorize or generalize to offend anybody. But I mean, how many times do you think about the freedoms that we have in this country? Think about the things that we are afforded in this country by being citizens of the United States, living here, being a part of this community. 
Why do we have the freedoms that we have? If we don't ask the questions of why we have these freedoms, then we take our freedoms oftentimes for granted. We abuse our freedoms or we neglect to recognize and appreciate the people that give us our freedoms. There's so many men and women in this service and our Newport News campus that are there that the reason that we have the freedoms that we have is because of their sacrifice and their willingness to give of themselves. And if we don't ask why we have those freedoms, then a lot of times we're going to not really understand the freedoms that we have or the power that they have in our lives. There's so many other ways that we can look at the why, right? My kids don't understand all the time why they get to go out to eat sometimes, right? They just think that they should be able to go out to eat whenever they want to. They don't understand that they get to go out to eat sometimes because mom and dad pay for it. And dad has to work to get a paycheck to pay for it right? They don't understand the why, and so they just think that we should be able to go out to eat whenever we want to, because they think that, you know, the cows at Chick-fil-A just hand out the chicken just for fun, right? I mean, that's just what they think, all right? I, I'm alive, I'm breathing, and I want Chick-fil-A, and they should give it to me, right? I mean, that's what they think, you know? And so when you get into, if you don't ask the why, if you don't understand kind of what, what's going on, or you don't look into those things, you can get into a place where you just take things for granted. You're not really aware of what's happening. You're not really aware of maybe what's taking place in your life, or what you could have have an opportunity to do. And really, the reality of it is, especially as followers of Christ, we just can't live that way. As a member of a church, we can't live that way. It's good for us to go through and ask the question, why? Why do I follow Jesus? Why does this church do what they do? Does that resonate with me? Should I be a part of that church? Does it make sense? Do I understand today why I'm going to wake up and be a follower of Christ? Do I understand that today I'm going to do what I'm going to do because of the things that motivate me? What are my motivations? And really that's what this, this question of why is getting into. It's why do we do what we do? Because the reality of it is, is that every single one of us, we're motivated to do every single thing that we do. For everything that we do, there is a why as to why we do it. And I was reminded of this so amazingly on yesterday morning. So yesterday, so our offices, uh, we have offices that we share with another church, a Baptist church um, out behind CNU. And uh, it's a great relationship that we have there with that church. And so we were there at, in my office. I got there super early yesterday. I got there like 6.30. And so when I first got in before I did anything, I was like, I'm going to do some coffee, right? Because you got to get coffee, right, before you really get in anything serious. And so I was looking for my second cup of coffee. And, uh, and I remember we had just had a meeting there, and I remembered that we had bought special creamers for that meeting. And one of them got left in the kitchen. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to walk down there. It's a super long church. So instead of the church being up, it's like long, right? And so, so I'm walking and it's dark and I'm just like in zombie mode anyways, like I need coffee. So I'm not really eyes open, you know, it's just kind of like bump into stuff. Oop, let's go this way, right? And so I'm just kind of doing that. And, and so I get all the way down to the kitchen. I haven't turned on any lights. I'm in the refrigerator and I'm just looking around and our creamer's missing. So I'm getting a little bit grumpy because I want coffee and I really wanted this creamer and somebody's taken my creamer, right? And so I'm just sitting there and I'm just rummaging around and and then I go and I just close the doors. I walk back upstairs and I use the creamer I didn't really want to use. Everything's fine. All of a sudden though, like probably two hours later, so it's not all of a sudden at all. So two hours later, Elise, who attends here, she's not here tonight. I was hoping she was because I love her laughter and she definitely has been laughing at this one for a while. So she, she comes up like two hours later and she goes, hey, were you here around 6.30 this morning? I was like, yeah, I sure was. And she's like, did you go into the kitchen? I was like, I sure did. And she's like, so I just want you to know, um, you almost died. And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there were some lights on. And we have a before school program. And the teacher that was there, she was all by herself with several kids. And all she heard was some person rummaging around in the kitchen in the dark. And she saw this person with this black hoodie on, and she got a little bit nervous. So she decided to pull away in the classroom, keep the kids in there, and hold up a pair of six-inch scissors just in case I walked through. And she was going to, I'm protecting these children. And to make it even more awesome, not only was she doing that, but she called her husband, who is an ex-Marine, 
and a current police officer in Newport News. And he flies up to the church, and he goes around the property, and he starts going through the building, and then all of a sudden it dawns on them, you know what? It's probably one of the pastors from City Life upstairs. But I was this close to being taken out by a former Marine or a Marine's wife with scissors. And I was sitting there, she's telling me the story, and I'm just dying laughing. I'm like, this is the funniest thing. I was like, what in the world? Like, I'm like, it's just so funny to me. Like, what did she think I was doing? Let me get some juice, and then I'm going to go kill everybody. Like, I mean, what did she, like, think was happening in the moment, you know? Like, I just thought it was so stinking funny. And I was like, why did she respond that way? Like, what was her motivation? And the only thing I can think is that she either had some really, really, really jacked up brothers when she was a kid, right? Or she's just got, she's got a very dark, perspective on the world nowadays, right? So whatever the thing that is, whatever you do, how you respond to situations, what you choose to do, what you choose to be a part of, there is a motivation, there is a why to your what in every single thing that you do. And if we can get to the place where we can understand our motivations, the quicker that we can get there, the quicker that we can live an intentional life. Because see, a lot of times we go through, and I don't know why I respond that way. I don't know why I treat people that way. I don't know why, and we can go through the list of the things, but if we could dive back into our own lives and say, here's why I do what I do, we could change some things, we could stop some things, we could reinforce some things, but we can then find out why are we doing what we do, and once we find out that motivation, it can help us to live that much more of an intentional life quicker. And so as a follower of Christ, as somebody who's at least, if you can all just say, right, I'm here tonight at City Life Williamsburg, at the very minimum, I'm exploring the possibility of this being a church that I could attend. For every single one of us that's here, for all of us that say, hey, you know what, I'm a follower of Christ. And if you say, I'm not, I'm, I don't even know about you here tonight, at least your mind is somewhat open to the possibility that God is real and that Jesus is here. And so for each and every single one of us, we need to look at the reality that Jesus should be our supreme why. He should be our motivation for everything that we do. So before we get into John chapter 4, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true, that your word brings life. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have, God, just to spend these few moments looking into your word. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we talk about this church, we talk about why we do what we do, I pray that most importantly, what's heard and what's seen in each one of our hearts and minds is what you do and why you do what you do. God, help us to see your goodness. Help us to see your plan. Help us to see the truth and the power of the gospel displayed in the wonderful, amazing, good, awe-inspiring life of Jesus Christ. So, God, we thank you for that. God, over the next few minutes, let the words that come out of my mouth honor you and glorify you. May they be inspired. May they be encouraged by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And may they point to you in everything. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'm going to set just a quick context for this before we read um, uh, John chapter 4. So this, this right here is an incredible, incredible time if you're living in Israel. All right, Jesus is walking around and he's beginning to do some miraculous things and he's just beginning to stir the community. Jesus had just turned water into wine and created some, you know, like ridiculous like amount of wine and people obviously that caught their attention. Jesus is beginning to call his disciples and people are walking away from their livelihoods and their homes to follow him and, and, and Jesus is doing some things that are just causing people to say, who is this guy? And, and John the Baptist is like, this is the guy. And, and so all of this stuff's happening, and people are talking, and, and, and people are like, I want to be around him. I want to be next to him. I, I'm going to leave my home. I'm going to travel for days to come and see what this thing is about. And there's just excitement. There's all of this stuff that is happening. And Jesus is just making people on edge. He's just stirring things, and people are getting excited, and, and it's just this massive scene, and, and people are saying, who is this guy? And, and I want you to know that it just didn't stop then, that that continued on to this day. That even this day, people are still saying, who is that guy? 
We, we cannot get away from the reality that Jesus Christ lived his life here on this world and that he changed everything. H.G. Wells, he's a huge historian. H.G. Wells says this. He says, I am an historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. This is who Jesus is. This is the reality of who Jesus is. So the question we're going to be talking about tonight is, is why Jesus? Why as a church do we believe in Jesus as Lord? Why as a church do we believe in Jesus as God? Why as a church do we say, I want to be like Jesus and I want to follow Jesus and do what Jesus did? That's what we're looking at tonight. And so we're using John chapter 4 to kind of walk us through this a little bit. We're going to be in John chapter 4 for the next three weeks. And so we're going to be looking at some different things. So we're going to go ahead and jump into it. If you're still with me, say, I'm here. All right, John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So one of the things that I, I, I've got, so we're going to read some verses, and then we're just going to pull out some thoughts and some things, and then we're going to end the night and, uh, and see what God did. So, so when I was reading these verses, I honestly was just reading verses 1 through 3, and just I was going to read them for context, and, and, and God just kept saying, hey, have you thought about this? Hey, do you notice this? And then I just kept going with it, and then I talked to Pastor Fred and said, am I crazy? He said, no, do it. And so, so either we're both crazy or, or God's got something. So here we go. So when I was looking at this in verses 1 through 3, one of the things that just jumped out to me is, is that Jesus, why do we follow Jesus? Why do we believe in Jesus as God? One of the things that, that I look at and I see here is why we believe that he is and why we want to follow him is, is we see that Jesus was focused in everything that he did. He was focused in everything that he did. He knew who he was, and he knew what his mission was. Previously, just a little bit further, in John chapter 3, just go back a little bit. In John chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, I've got this up on the screen for you. It says, Jesus is talking. He says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He knew what his mission was, and he was focused on accomplishing the will of God in everything that he did. That's who Jesus was. That's what he came to do. Jesus was on point with everything that he did. He was on mission. He was on focus. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't make an error. He didn't wander. He didn't do anything unintentionally. Jesus perfectly lived a perfect life doing everything that God had asked him to do. How many of you can say that you've done that so far, right? Dad, put his hand up. Oh, that's awesome. That's why he's my dad. <laughs> right? No, we can't, right? Like, I, I, we haven't done things perfectly. We haven't, we, we've made a, money, a lot of mistakes, but this is who Jesus was. He was on point. He was focused in everything he did. He knew who he was and what he was sent to do, and he never wavered from that. And so as that being Jesus, what does that mean for us? We believe that every single church that God has called into existence is here on purpose. We believe that there should be a rich variety of churches. We believe that churches have different experiences and different expressions of who they are because God is a massive God and it takes all of us to show who God is, to show his glory, and to reach those that God wants to reach. So we believe in the church. We believe that Jesus came to start the church, that Jesus, his plan was to reach the world through the church. It was his plan A, not his plan B. He didn't say, man, this isn't going to work out, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Let's go ahead and see if this church thing works. He believes in the church. He started the church. The church was his plan to reach the world through the generations until he returns again. And so he's given each church in its uniqueness a mission. He's given each church in its variety and its own expression to do what he's called that church to do. We believe as a church, a city life, that we should be doing three things. 
that we should be actively reaching people because that's what God sent Jesus to do, is to actively reach people. So we should be doing things like the 1031 party, and we should be doing many of the different missions efforts and all of the different things we do to reach people, that we should go out into the community, that we should tell people about this church, that we should tell our friends, we should invite our neighbors because Jesus came to reach people. He came so that people could be exposed to who he is. He came so that people could be exposed to the reality that God wants to be in relationship with them. So we should be actively reaching people. We believe that we should be a church that has a kingdom mindset. That we are not just focused on building our kingdom, but we're a part of his work in building the kingdom of God. That's what he's called us to do. So we believe in the reason that we, at this campus, and the Newport News campus, and the Suffolk campus are working with other churches because we believe that when churches work together, stand shoulder to shoulder, when a Methodist church and a non-denominational charismatic Pentecostal church can stand side by side, when a Hispanic Pentecostal church can be here and all three of us can collaborate together, work together, dream together, pray together and say, God, what do you want us to do, not as individuals, but collectively, that God will do something supernatural and powerful in this community. We believe and we feel that we have been uniquely called to be a church that fosters unity among the local churches wherever we are. Because we want to have a kingdom mindset about his kingdom advancing, not about building our own kingdoms. Thirdly, we believe this, that he's called us to help to talk about, but to also facilitate and to create room for rest in people's lives. Our ultimate rest, the rest for our souls, the rest of our lives is found in Jesus Christ. He is where we find rest. He is our rest. He is our hope for rest. He is everything. But we also believe that in that, that Sabbathing is an important part of life. We believe that is something that was not just cast away, that we should take time to intentionally focus on who God is and the work he's doing in our lives. And so we meet on Saturday nights to create room for rest in people's lives. Jesus was focused. He had a mission and we believe that God has given each church a mission and a vision, and we want to be focused on who God's called us to be and do everything that we can to reach this community the way that God's called us to do it. So we see that he was focused in the fact that he knew who he was and what his mission was. We also see that he was focused in the sense that he empowered others and modeled discipleship. I, I love this, when you read this, that Jesus was, it says that, let's go ahead and just read this because this is awesome. You don't have to put this on the screen, Zach, but it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. I, I love this. So here, one of the things, too, that we say at City Life all the time is, is that we believe in winners and losers. And I love that it highlights in here that Jesus was baptizing more than John, right? And making more disciples. It's like, yeah, that's right. He's the winner, right? We believe in winners and losers. We believe in competition, right? Uh, some of us just went bowling on Thursday night, and we got upset if we were losing, right? I, I beat Brandon by one point, and it was awesome, right? So, we, <laughs> so I love that, right? Compe competition is not a bad thing. But one of the things that just stood out to me is this verse 2. It says, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. Jesus came to empower people, to show people that they are part of his work. That in eternity past, God said, there's a work that I want you to do. There's something that I'm calling you to do. I'm going to gift you to do something uniquely so that you could show my glory in the world and in the time that I put you. He equipped people. He gave people an opportunity to be a part of the ministry that he was doing. He didn't go and do all the work and make them to stand on the sidelines and go, wow, that's awesome. Though they stood on the sidelines and said, wow, that's awesome, right? He moved them into serving. He moved them into working into what he was doing and how he was laying things out. We believe, and this is in scripture, right? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, that the role, the responsibility of the pastor, the role, the responsibility of the leadership of the church is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. So one of the things we talk about as a church a lot of times is, we say this a lot, you'll hear us talk about it often, is, is that we believe in transformation by participation. And so we're not saying, hey, 
you got to get perfect so that you can serve somewhere, so that you can be a part of this community. We're saying, you know what? We're all jacked up. We're all messed up. We got issues, and the guy up there with the microphones probably got the most, right? And so we believe that we need to be in a place where we say, you know what? When I start doing the things that God gives me an opportunity to do, I start expressing the gifts he's given me for his glory, that I'm going to begin to draw closer to him, discover more of who he is, and he's going to start making me more like him. And so we believe that people in the church, if you have a gift, if you have something that you're doing, we believe that you should be serving. You know, a lot, we could fill this room up even more right now if we didn't have as many people serving. We could cut down on some things and we could do some things differently so that we could have more people in here in this room right now to make me feel a little bit better or something like that. We're not going to do that. Because we believe that this time is important, that we should proclaim the word of God, that faith comes from hearing of the word. But we also believe in transformation by participation. That when you participate in the things of God, that he begins to transform your life. And here's why. Here's why the reality of that, here's why that happens is because we believe this, that proximation leads to revelation. When you're close to God and the things that he's doing, he begins to reveal who he is and what he's doing. And so if you're a part of this church and you've yet to jump in and serve, you know we want you to serve. We want you to jump in, not because we feel like, you know what, we got some things we got to accomplish and we want to do things a certain way. We believe that when you jump into the things that God's doing in his church and you begin to step into part of his work of building the church and the community, capital C, right, not just little C, capital C church, when you step into building up the church, that God's going to transform you and he's going to reveal who he is and what he's doing in your life. He's called us to equip. He's called us to encourage. He's called us to challenge people. He's called us to give people an opportunity. And, and you're just like, you know what? I don't know if that person's the best person for that. Great, I didn't ask your opinion. Secondly, right? Secondly, it doesn't matter. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for participation, right? We could say no to a lot of people because things aren't perfect, right? But we're gonna say, you know what? We wanna participate in the things that God's doing. If we have a heart for it, if we have a desire for it, we're gonna step into those things. We wanna be a part of that stuff. Now, we might have some things where we talk and say, you know what? I think you think that's a gift that God's given you, and maybe he hasn't. And we're gonna help you find the gift that God has given you, right? But we believe that we should participate in things that Jesus himself empowered others and model discipleship, and that's what we as a church are supposed to do. Jesus was focused this way as well, is that he wanted others to stay focused. Look at the same verse. I was looking at that, and I was thinking about it, and then all of a sudden this, this, pop, this thought popped in my head, right, is that he's sitting there, and Jesus wasn't baptizing people. And I just felt like God, like, pointed some things out, and I, I just had this thought in my head, and I was like, all right, is this crazy? Um, and so if you ever think you're kind of off and you're unsure, and you're just like, is this just like my own crazy idea? There's commentaries out there, right? Go read a commentary. Go find something online. Study God's word. Don't just run with a crazy thought. Call your pastor. Call your life group leader. Find somebody to talk about God's word. I did all of those things, and, and I found, you know what? Hey, this isn't an original thought. Go figure, right? And secondly, this is spot on, right? Jesus wasn't baptizing people because he wanted people to stay focused on what he was calling them to do. See, what could happen is, is, is that you go through, and, and so let's just say this, right? Let's just go through this theory. You go to the river, and you're like, all right, I'm here to get baptized. This Jesus guy's doing some cool stuff. I think I want to follow him. I want to be on his team, right? So I want to be baptized because that's how he's doing it, right? So you go down the river, and uh, so, you know, let's just say that, you know, my dad's there, my mom's there, and I'm there, and we're all just three standing there, and, and we're, standing, you know, just at the, the, the kind of just hanging out next to the river, and maybe Serena's there, right? And so we go through, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, I walk up, and Jesus points at me, and he says, go over here, and Peter's going to be the one baptizing me. And then Philip is going to be baptizing dad, right? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus says, I'm going to baptize Debbie, right? And then we go through, and then how, like, you go through at some point, you know, and then just like I forgot Serena, maybe he forgot Serena, right? And so, <laughs> but I'm just, you know, like, so this moment, we get to this thing where we're walking through life, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like one day comes, and it's like, you know what? You were baptized by John. I was baptized by Jesus, right? You think you're awesome? Like, Philip, really? Jesus baptized me, right? And he held me under a little longer because he helped me to breathe underwater, right? He's Jesus, you know? Like, he, like I'm awesome, right? Jesus is like, no, I don't want people getting caught up in these superficial things and who you are, what you've experienced or what you've done. I want you to stay focused on where I have you and what I'm calling you to do. 
I, I want you to be aware of what I'm doing. I want you to, to be focused. So he's equipping and he's discipling and he's leading people. But at the same time, too, he's just saying, hey, listen, I want you to stay focused on what matters. Later on, right, we see in Scripture later on that people even get into that battle, right? Oh, I was baptized by this person. I was baptized. And Paul's just like, you guys are crazy. What are you doing? Like, that doesn't even matter. Jesus knew the way we think. He knows our tendencies. He knows our motivations. And he doesn't want people to be distracted. He wants people to be focused, right? Luke chapter 9, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Right? This thing we can get caught up in, like, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look where I've been. Look, look at the plaques on my wall. Look at the things that I've done. Look at the places that I've gone. Look at, look at what I know. We can get into all this place and we can get distracted by this stuff. How God's used us in the past or how we've seen God's hand on us in different places. And he's saying, don't get distracted by that stuff. Stay focused on the things that I've called you. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's not even about what I've done in you. It's about saying, God, what do you want me to do next? Where do you want me to go? How can I help people come to know you? That's what he wants us to do. Stay focused. I'm not going to get caught up in what I want or how I want to do things. I, I, I don't want that to be my motivation. I don't want selfishness or my thought of my position or where I should be serving in the church or what I should be doing. I, I Oftentimes I'm humbled and even slightly embarrassed that I'm a pastor of a church because I know who I am and I know the things that I do. And then there's people out here that are better at what, the, what I'm trying to do right now, right? And, and I just sit there and look at it, but this is God gives us what he gives us and he wants us where he wants us for his glory and for his purposes. And he wants us focused on that and that alone. He doesn't want us to say, well, if I had that spot, if I was in that position, if people would hear what just I have to say and how I could turn that around, he wants us to do what he's called us to do. And so for as a church, what we talk about and what we try to encourage people to do is, is when you're looking for a place to serve, you're looking for somewhere to go, here's how you stay focused. You don't come in and say, here's my credentials. You don't just say, hey, you know what? I'm done with this spot because I just realized how good I am and I can't be here anymore. We ask this question, what is the need? What is the need? We, we jump into whatever the need is. There's been times on a Sunday morning because we needed somebody in kid life that we switched some things around so that I wasn't speaking so that I could go and help kid life. We do whatever is in front of us. We do whatever the need is because what the need is is what God's given us an opportunity to do as a church to reach people, to declare his glory in the community. That's what he's called us to do. What is the need? That's the question that we want people to ask. That's what we want you to ask. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you're serving right now and you're saying, man, I don't know. Maybe God's moving me. Maybe God's shifting me. There's something on my heart. Then you say, what is the need? What is the need we have as a church? And if you see or feel like there's a need, then you come and you talk to somebody in leadership and say, I feel like there's a need here. Is there a need? Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. But we start with what is the need? Maybe we come in and we're changing diapers right away. And we're doing diapers for six months or so. Maybe that's not where you're going to stay. Maybe God has something he wants you to do later on. But in that six months, he wants you to connect with somebody while you're changing diapers so that you can talk to them and share the gospel in a way only that you can share right? God's got something that he wants us to do, and he wants us to stay focused on the work that he's given us to do. You'll hear Pastor Fred say this all the time, and I've adopted this, and he adopted it from somebody else, and so one of us one day will claim it as ours, but it's all right. We say this all the time, your gifts will make room for themselves. Your gifts will make room for themselves. Just come in and say, what is the need? If you're looking and you're yet to serve, you're yet to jump into the things that God's given us as a church to do because you're trying to wait for that spot to open up, just ask the question, what is the need? Jump in. God wants to do something in you and he wants to do something through you. Find where the need is. Jump in there. And if you've got gifts bigger than that spot, he will open up the spot where your gifts will be used for his glory at the right time. Let's jump in and let's stay focused. All right, so here how he was, last point on how he was focused, and I got two other points we'll share. You guys still with me? So here's how he stayed focused, last point. He didn't give room for pettiness to distract. He didn't give room for pettiness to distract. See, there's a time and there's a place for everything. And sometimes there isn't a reason for reaction, right? What am I talking about? John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew 
the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew what they were doing. Jesus knew how the Pharisees' hearts were beginning to turn, how they were beginning to be, you know, challenged and they felt threatened. They were a little bit upset because they were the ones that guarded all the rules. They're the ones that guarded how religion was formed and how things were done. And Jesus had not even come to ask their permission to baptize people, right? So they're getting all worked up. Jesus knew what was happening. There's some awesome commentary when you go through scripture of Jesus confronting the Pharisees. But in this moment, Jesus decided to leave and to not confront the Pharisees. Why? Because he says, I'm not going to let petty little things distract me from my mission. And I'm not going to let petty things, I'm not going to let attitudes, I'm not going to let things that are going to be here one day and gone the next day, I'm not going to let this stuff distract me. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be focused. What he was there to do? He was there to reach the lost. What is he there to do? To disciple and to equip. In the moment, in the beginning of his ministry, you know Jesus, right? I mean, he could have gone off and like come up with a powerful, right? Like, you know, like, I mean, I don't know if you saw Ted Cruz the other night on the debates, right? He just launched into the moderators and got all this acclaim. Like, he would have made that moment just look so petty because Jesus could have just been like, made the Pharisees like feel this big. You know what I'm saying? But what good would that have done? What would that have accomplished in that moment? It would have just pushed them further and excited them and maybe even incited them a little bit quicker to begin to plot and plan against Jesus. And Jesus said, it's not time for that yet. There's some work that needs to be done. And secondly, you know what he would have done? He would have incited in the hearts of his disciples that it's better to confront and it's better to like just say, your, say whatever's on your mind, to, say, to share your opinion. It's better to do all of those things and just get it out there, right, in the moment than it is to do what God's called you to do. Jesus knew in that moment, hey, it's not the right time because that time for my ministry has not come yet. And I want my disciples to hear that it's more important to stay focused on the work God's given you to do than it is to be distracted by something off on the side. So at this church, what we talk to people about is that we want people to do what you can. We want you to think the best of people and to hope the best for every situation. There are going to be times that you disagree with things. There are going to be times that you think something's wrong, or there's going to be times that you just say, I don't like that. I, I just really don't enjoy that song, or I don't enjoy the way that we do that. There's going to be times for that. If that, you find yourself in that place, there's a right time for the conversation. And you should have those conversations. And you should talk to the right people at the right times. But sometimes when you first feel it, sometimes when you first notice it, it's not the right time. It's just the right time just to hold on and do what God's given you to do. We believe that you should do everything you can to think the best of people and hope of best every situation. But when the time comes, have the tough conversations. When the time comes, have the tough conversations in the right way. But whether you're waiting and you're being patient for God to do his work, or whether you're having the tough conversations, we want to do Hebrews 10, 24. We want us to think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. How can we point to the goodness of God and what he's doing? How can we point to how powerful God is and all that he's making happen? What can we do in this moment to encourage people to see the work that God is doing? See, Jesus in that moment, I believe, holding his tongue and not just lashing into the Pharisees. It helped his disciples in that moment and all through the rest of his ministry to see that God sent Jesus focused on one thing and one thing only. And that was to reach people and declare God's glory. That's what he called them to do. And he was focused. He was on point. And the disciples were able to then model that, follow that, and walk their way through. So we see why do we follow Jesus? Because Jesus was focused in the work that he, had called, that he was sent to do by God his Father, to reach the lost and to help people to see that God wants to be in relationship with them. Secondly, we see this. Jesus was compelled. Jesus was compelled. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. John chapter 4, verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go through Samaria on the way couple weeks ago in our sermon series, we talked about watch your mouth. And one of the things I asked you, I said, what if the things you had to do were only the things that you were compelled to do because they were bigger and greater than you? What, we walk through life and we say, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. When most of the time, it's things that we get to do. 
We see here that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why is this significant? Why is this so important? Because Samaria, right? Like Samaria, this thing right here where he was going to Samaria on the way. When he was on this way, this was the rejected route. This was the route that nobody, especially if you were a leader in the Jewish faith, you wouldn't go this way. Like, this is the, I'm not going that way, because if I go that way, there's a lot of bad people there. There's a lot of bad stuff. I might just touch something wrong, and all of a sudden, God's going to hate me. Like, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do anything. Like, I'm going to avoid that. So they would go around Samaria to Galilee. They would take the long route just to show how good they were, just to show how pure they were, just to show how holy they were. They would go around to avoid people because they thought the people were so bad. But we see here in John chapter 4 that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He was compelled to go to Samaria. See, your motivations in your life, they determine your actions. Your motivations in your life, they determine your actions. If your motivations are for people to notice you, if your motivations are self-preservation, like the lady at the office yesterday, if your motivations are anything other than I want to do God's will, then that will determine your actions. And sometimes it'll be good, sometimes it won't, sometimes it'll be really bad. But if your desire, if your motivation is to say, I want to be focused on who God is and what he's called me to do, and I want to do the things he's called me to do, you will find yourself in a place where you are compelled to do the things that God's given you to do. That you can't help yourself but to be a part of what God's doing and what he wants to do in you and through you. Jesus was compelled to go the route that everybody would say, that's the wrong way to go and we're going to judge you for going that way. He was compelled to go that way. And I love it because in Jesus doing this, he shatters barriers. Going through the roads of Samaria, he shatters barriers. Barriers. As a church, there are going to be more things that we say no to than when we say yes to. Because we're going to be focused on the things that God's called us to do, and we want to only be doing the things that he's compelled us to do. We want to be set on the things that God has set in our hearts to say, here is the best way that we have called you. Here's the best way we've given you to reach and to empower those that we have set in front of you, that I want you to reach, that I want to know the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes this way, and he shatters barriers. He shatters the expectations that people have. He shatters the, you can't do that and you shouldn't do that. As a church, we're not going to do crazy things just to do crazy things. We're not going to go out and just say, well, that's a tradition, so we're going to buck it, right? Like we sang a hymn tonight. How cool was that, right? That we sang a hymn tonight, right? We're not just going to go and say we're not going to do it because we don't want to do it. We're going to go through and we're going to say, you know what? We want to do the things that God's called us to do, but we want to be compelled in the things that he's called us to do. And there's going to be some things that sometimes people are going to say, well, you're a church, so you're supposed to. And we're going to say, no. In fact, we're on mission. We're sent. We're called. We're compelled to do the things that he's called us to do, so we're not going to do that. We're not going to go that way. We're, we're not going to do those things. And so we're going to be focused on what he's called us to do because, secondly, on his road to Samaria, Jesus displayed his love for sinners. In Luke chapter 19, we see that he came to seek and save the lost. That is what he's called us to do as a church. That's what his whole mission was. That's what his whole purpose was, is to seek and save the lost. That he came to display his love for sinners. That he said, I want to be where the people are. I want to go where they are. And that's what he's called us as a church to do. And so sometimes people expect the church to do certain things. And those certain things are things that we're just not going to do. Because we want to be where the people are. We want to be where the lost people are. We want to be where people need Jesus. And so we're going to do what we feel God's called us to do and what he's compelling us to do to be where they are. Because lastly, we see this. And the worship team can go ahead and come up. We see this, that Jesus was positioned. Jesus was positioned. John chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. See, he had to go this way because he was on an appointment to meet somebody. He had to go this way because he was on an appointment to change a town. He was on his way. He had an appointment that he had to keep. Because not only was he going to change a life, not only was he going to change a town, not only was he going to revolutionize a community, but he was beginning to set the world on fire. All because he positioned himself 
where he knew he needed to be to reach the lost. That's what we want to do. That's where we want to be. Jesus positioned himself to reach the lost, and we as a church are trying to do everything we can to position ourselves to reach people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories, and there's so many powerful things about this. But, I mean, when you think and you stop and you look at this, Jesus, he knew when she was going to be at the well. I, if Jesus was 10 minutes early, he would have missed her. If Jesus was 10 minutes late, he would have missed her. Jesus knew exactly when she was going to be there and he knew exactly what was going to happen because Jesus, before the foundations of this world, he set up this meeting because he said, I want to position myself to be in the right place. I want people to see my love for them. I want people to see that I'm wanting to be where they are and I want people to see the truth and the love and the goodness of their heavenly Father that has come in this way. And Jesus is here as God's expression of love to the whole world. And he's willing and able to give of himself so that we can know who God is and that we can be called his sons and his daughters. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, just at the right time, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it goes on, it says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by death of a son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of a son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. John chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. It's so powerful, right? Jesus is there at the well, ready to meet this woman who is hurting, who is desperate, who is lost, who is broken, who is ashamed, who is judged, who is ridiculed. He goes to meet this woman. He knows that she's getting ready to be there, and he's sitting there. And I love that Scripture does this. It doesn't go through, and it doesn't hide the ugliness of things. It says that Jesus was weary, and he was tired. And he was sitting there at the well, getting ready to set the world on fire. And he was weary, and he was tired. Why does that mean anything for you and I? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I love this because it shows that Jesus is saying, listen, I know where you are and I know who you are. I know what you're going through because I've been there myself. All of the pressures and all of the things that you're facing, all the things that just weigh you down, all of the things that break your heart, all of the things that make you feel like you have no reason for hope, I've been there. I felt it. Those things have been in my mind. They've been in my heart. I've felt the pressures of them. I've been tired. I've been thirsty. I've been broken. But yet he did not sin. And yet he overcame every single one of them. And in not being broken and in not sinning, Jesus now stands as our hope, our reason for joy, our reason for life, our reason for everything. And so I love this story because Jesus positioned himself not just for a woman, but for you and me. To see that he is fully man, that he came and did what we could not do. But yet at the same time, in John chapter 4, verse 1, he knew the Pharisees. He was God. He knew the thoughts and the intentions of man without even having to hear the words himself. He is fully man and he is fully God. He came and lived the life that we could not live and he died the death that you and I deserve so that we could have the life that he gave us through the cross that is not ours, but he willingly gives it through his grace. That is who our God is. That's what he positioned himself to do. He's saying, I want you to be a church. I want you to be a people who's the same thing. I want you to follow this path. I want you to know this path. I want you to be focused on what God's called you to do. I want you to live your life where you're compelled to do the things I've called you to do and that I've given you an opportunity to do. And I want you to position yourself to be in the right place at the right time so that people can know and see and understand that I am God with you and that I am in love with you and that I have a plan with you and you can find life and hope in Jesus Christ. When we see that Jesus is our why, 
when we see that he's our reason for everything, that he's our reason to wake up and breathe, he's our reason to stand up and sing, he's our reason to come to church and worship and serve, he's our reason to have hope and joy. When we see that Jesus is our why, then he becomes our motivation. And when he's our motivation, then the things that we do have absolutely changed and they become the things that God's called us to do. So if you will, join me and stand. I know I called the band up here and we were going to sing, but we're not going to sing. I, listen, I, I'm so excited about this because, like, I, I, I know for me, if I just go through life, and it's just the way I'm built, the way I'm wired, if I just go through and I just, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm just doing it, I'm just miserable. And the truth is, is I know like I seem to connect with that, but I know that every single one of us is that way. If we don't know why we're doing it, we're just kind of doing it, like there's no life in that. Listen, Jesus is our everything, he's our why. And when you hold him tight and you look to him as your why in everything that you do, your motivation, that he's your source of everything, I'm just telling you the most mundane of things can be life-giving situations. Just changing a diaper, like going in there and loving on a kid that maybe has not been loved on all week can be something that literally changes a life, changes a family's life. Coming in here and just worshiping and lifting your hands and your voice when you know and you're reminded in these moments that Jesus is good and he's your why. You find freedom and you walk out of here ready for your Monday. You come out of here ready to rest and, and be excited and just discover his glory tomorrow because he's our why. He changes everything. Father, I just pray as I try to find a way to shut up right now. God, that you just excite us. That you help us to see everything. You knew who you were. You knew what you were sent for. You knew what your purpose was. You looked at every single moment, not just as a, 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 a frozen moment in time, but you saw the ripples. You saw the impact. You saw the things that would come from that. And you were so focused on doing God's will. You were so focused on living the life that we could not live. And you came and you did everything so that we could have life and so that we could know Jesus, so that we could know God, so that we could be in relation, so that we could be called son and daughter of the creator of the universe. God, help us as a church to know you as our why and that you be our motivation in everything that we do. God, as followers of Christ, help each and every one of us in here, God, to say, I know who my why is and I know what I'm supposed to do now. If there's anybody in this room that says, I don't know who Jesus is, I don't know who God is, I, I hope in this moment that if anything, they begin to ask the question of why am I here? What is my purpose? Why do I do the things that I do? And God, I pray that you place a hunger in them. Maybe they're asking the question, why Jesus? I pray that in this moment, you help them to seek that you, you came and you lived this perfect life. That you literally have changed history. That seriously, everything that we know and we believe, everything that we see, you're in the middle of it all. That there are things about the life that you live that the hardest atheist cannot deny. You are the reason for life. You are the why for everything. Father, help us to see that. Help us to turn to you. God, change us as we embrace that and hold on to that. Lord, we love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Have a great week. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.